You're in the water loop. What will water look like in the year 2050? I'm here at the Reservoir Center in Washington, D.C., where a group of water professionals are gathered to explore that question. They're considering the factors that will influence the future of water. They're thinking about how the water industry can plan and act to shape that future. I'm talking to some of these water experts to get their ideas and expertise on Water 2050. Let's listen to those conversations. I will be speaking with David LaFrance, Joe Giacangelo, and Shiho Sham of the American Water Works Association. Water 2050, could you talk about this kind of envisioning that you're doing? What, what's the purpose of this? Why are you doing it? I've never really thought that waiting for the future to come to us was the right strategy when you can actually sort of steer your way to a future. Uh, so that was the beginnings. We just sat down, had a conversation, posed the question of our five-year plans, the right sort of way to go, and we thought we need to extend that out to the year 2050. It seems like we're at a pivotal, a little pivotal time for water, right? With heightened public awareness, uh, an influx of investment into water, some different kind of challenges, this post-pandemic world. So it seems like it's the right time to kind of reset a little bit. Yeah, absolutely true. There are a lot of dynamics, a lot of new things that are happening uh, for water. And, and so this is really the right time to take all that bundle it up and think, okay, how will this drive us into the future? And if the future that we see from that is something we want to make a little bit better, then we should start now. Because if you, know, you plant the seed, the tree will grow and it will take some time. Do you think the water sector uh, is able to have that mindset you know, as a whole to, to look beyond the day-to-day -day operations of providing clean water uh, and plan 30 years out, try to turn a ship, if you will, uh, you know, that, that far out? Well, you bring up a good question. For many, that is a challenge. It's, it's hard because we're all enmeshed in our day-to-day -day activities and our short-range uh, duties and, and activities and planning. And so to really reach out, and what we often find that it's, it's difficult to be able to say, okay, what will really 2050 look like? So when we do these think tanks, I always start off by saying, I would like everyone to think about what I call the art of the impossible. And I say, don't think about what is possible. What is possible we're gonna do? Think about what is impossible, because in 2050, what we think is impossible today, we are going to and have to be able to achieve again if we're gonna meet a sustainable water future. So I always uh, uh, reiterate to them, that's too possible. Give me something that's impossible, and then let's start from there. I love that. Push, push the envelope, and right, because it's going to be a whole new world in in thirty years. That's for sure. With the way technology is going, it's going to be a whole new world in three years. So the, the water community, whether it's drinking water or wastewater, we tend to be very reactive, rather be proactive. When there's a problem, we'll go and try to solve that problem. And so it's continue to do it that way, then I kind of say like, we end up always chasing our own tail. So it's, it's not a good approach. You know, can we be a little bit more foresight? And then especially now with, you know, with 
uh, Joe being the president. I'm, now I'm the uh, immediate past president. But this whole idea started in uh, 2021. Mm. And uh, so we say, let, let's see whether we can push the agenda a little bit to get people to become more forward thinking and incorporating also other community within this uh, uh, this exercise. And so, you know, we, that's part of the reason why we have these think tanks. And these think tanks, uh, not just people within the water community, it's also people outside the water community, whether it's planner, whether folks that are dealing with technology, uh, big corporations. So we want their point of view. And so I think we can learn from each other a lot. So I, I think that's kind of how it all gets started. We really don't know what 2050 will look like. You know, like I'm a big sci-fi fan. So is that is that like Water World? Is it Mad Max? Or is that like Star Trek? I don't know. You know, what would that Plenty be? The three, oh yeah, it could be. So I think to me is that let's just figure out like what is driving us. And then so let's look, look at those issues. Like can we alter some of the pathway? Because I also think is that instead of for all these other drivers pushing us forward, if we can understand what these drivers are, maybe we can chart our own course. Some of the drivers that you're looking at, could you talk about the, the areas that you're drilling down on that you think are gonna be the real agents of change uh, for, for the water industry? Let me just briefly go over the five drivers very quickly. And I only say that, I wanna uh, mention the five, is only because they're all interlinked. You really can't separate them out um, because one will influence the other, which will influence the other, et cetera. So if we begin with sustainability, that's the key driver. And sustainability, as we know, is what's important uh, for the future in order to have a secure future for, uh, for our water community. To get there, we're gonna need technology, okay? And we're gonna have to have technology that we're not thinking about today. Again, the impossible. We're thinking about technology 30 years from now, remember, 30 years ago, we weren't thinking about having cell phones that, with, uh, with, uh, uh, that we could speak to and, and, and have social media. So we're gonna need that kind of technology. But also we're gonna need uh, a governance. We're gonna be able to, how are we gonna govern a sustainable future that's driven by technology? And so the way we look at governance will probably, again, not be like we look at today. There'll be new ways in which we can think about how would we govern that future. Um, and then economics plays into all this, because the bottom line is we need to begin to a able to uh, finance what we're going to do and really uh, uh, be able to finance the true cost of water, not the cost of water that we're receiving today, which is, has a lot to do with delayed maintenance, et cetera. And then finally, social demographics plays a key role. We need to be acutely aware of disadvantaged communities to be sure that we are not biasing what we develop in Water 2050 towards one group or another. But we do pay attention to the complete social demographic atmosphere. And to go into social demographics is really my mind, in more depth is my mind, is the key to why 2050 is occurring why we're gonna have these challenges all comes down to demographics. And I say that for a couple reasons. If there were three billion people on the earth today, we wouldn't be talking right now. But we have almost seven billion or so people on the earth. And by 2050, that's gonna approach over 10, nine to 10 billion. It's not sustainable. Our water supplies are not sustainable in the way we use them today. And so demographics is driving everything going forward. So we have to be able to adapt what we're going to do 
to the populations of where they are and how many people are in, in those various areas. I wanted to dig into that, that idea of understanding the driver, the value of that, and what you can do with it. So if you know what the pressures are, what's pushing on you, how it's gonna push on you, you can then decide how to react or how to get ahead of that pressure. Is that the idea? That's, that's the idea, you know, like I mentioned earlier on, you know, population. We know population is growing, right? And so, and because of population, we, we need more natural resources. And so natural resources, we extract resources, including water resources. And so what we need to start thinking about, this extraction, is it unlimited? It's clearly not. So if it's not unlimited, how do we go about to make adjustment to make sure that the finite resource could be utilized efficiently, effectively, and then you can continue to support our population into the future? Um, so you know that's one of the things uh, uh, probably either David or Joe have talked about. We talk about circular economy. Instead of doing all linear economy, you know, you extract resource, treat it, use it, treat it again, and dispose it. Can we, instead of disposing it, bring it back into the process? And so in that case, we can continue to use that resource and until it completely got exhausted. And then we can now bring in more new resources. And that's really the sustainability driver, sustainability right? Drive. Like to, to be able to be sustainable, uh, we, ha we have to be circular in how we use resources. You know, we, we can also you know, think about like, you know, the Elon Musk or the Jeff Bezos, we can go to Mars, you know, go to another planet, right? You know, it's like, is that the solution? Or can we have better solution than being on planet Earth? It, it seems like we might be going both paths. <laughs> it could be, you know, that, that we, we want options, yeah. right? We want the portfolio to be wide enough that we can see what is the most effective way. What else about the sustainability driver uh, jumps out to you? Well, you know, I also think about, it's about our future, right? our future generation. You know, I, all, I mean, a lot of us have kids. So we want to see what they're going to be do, uh, dealing with. And so I, I think, you know, the only sustainability, what I do see is that you know, we need to just manage resources better. I mean, of course, different people can different way of defining what sustainability is. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, if, I, if I'm the one that look at it is that I want to take a system approach, you know, input, is that input always greater than output? Well, then is that sustainable, right? So that's something that we need to sort of think about. And then, so, you know, maybe on a small scale, it is. On a larger scale, it might not be. So I think that's also not the whole thinking is that we need to be a little bit more holistic, you know, instead of just slow pipe. And I also, a few is that, with our education system, we become specialists. We're so specialized and we all have our own, own little stovepipe that we only see that boundary. We don't see, oh, what you do actually affects something else. And even think about the driver, that's always, always tell people, all these drivers interlink. What about in the water space? Do you think that people are stovepiped within water and, well, and, that, that, and that that needs to break down a little I bit? I think it should because, you know, I, I view it as a, well, like we, we talk about like one water, right? right. It should, we should think about water as a, uh, as a whole, as a total resource, that whether it's drinking water, wastewater, reuse, or storm water, we should have them all together. It's really kind of I love, before we hit record, you said you're a hydrologist. Yes. Of course it's one water. Right? It is one water, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and then it's finite, you know, like apart from 
you know, a, a volcanic eruption. We don't really generate too much new water. Right? Maybe in the future we use technology, you know, combine hydrogen and oxygen and we can generate new water. But, but by and large, it is finite. I want to ask you about sustainability, though, uh, because I think this is an area you really work in a lot. Um, could you talk more about why that's a driver, why that's going to be important to address, and maybe even what sustainability might look like 30 years from now? Obviously, if we don't have sustainable water supplies, we won't have water. So we have to develop a methodology in which we can become uh, uh, a water-sustainable community water that is secure for all. So the driver for that sustainability is key, but the question becomes is how do we get there or why do we need to get there? And how we get there is really comes down in my mind to begin to think about uh, a circular economy. And we, we, water is just one part of that circular economy. But if you look back at a little bit of the history, We've developed the—in uh, in, in North America, United States, we've developed our industrial prowess on the backs of the environment, on the back of the environment. We've taken materials out of the environment, we use them, and then we discharge them back into the environment in another form, often which is deleterious to that particular environment and even to health. So our economy was strictly linear. But it's a finite resource. We cannot continue just to extract, use, and discharge. So what we need to do is reuse. And we need to, instead of a linear economy, we need to circularize that economy so that we're taking uh, um, resources that are reused and putting, using them and then putting those products back into it, into the economy. And as a result, it becomes completely circular. In the ideal, we wouldn't be uh, going to the environment for—well, we'd be going for very little back to the environment. So what is this play into water? We're not doing—we're doing a pretty good job in terms of reusing water. We have great precedent of going circular. If you look at what's going on in California and, and even almost the Sun Belt, we're going to completely using almost all the water that we extract. And that's actually closing the loop or helping us close the loop on on the circularity of, of the economy and of water systems. But we've got a lot more to do, because if you look at wastewater, a wastewater treatment plant, for example, yeah, we, 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 we can reuse the water, but there are a ton of other resources that need to be extracted from that process. I've heard a lot about how many different resources there actually are in wastewater. Um, and people don't realize that, that there's, there's so many different valuable elements in there. No, you're absolutely correct. Nitrogen, phosphorus, metals, um, et cetera. But perhaps the most important one is energy. Uh, we generate, we can generate a lot of energy from the carbon in the wastewater, uh, as well as when we go through the process, we have what's called the digestive digestion, which generates a lot of heat uh, that can be used ultimately as, uh, for the production of energy. So that's a that's a key. But our challenge is is to put it back into the economy, it has to be cost-effective. Because uh, we, we won't—people won't use it, people won't buy it, industry won't use it, unless it is competitive with what they can extract out from the environment. And so that's our challenge going forward. You mentioned water reuse. This is one of my favorite topics. Uh, and I, I'm just really curious, like, 
what might water reuse look like in, in 2050? Uh, or what could it look like in, a, in an optimal sense if we were able to really implement and expand it? Well, I'll make it very short in a sense. We're using less than 10% of the available wastewater that we generate in this country. 2050, I'd like to see that close to well over 90% of reusing the water. So everything that's wasted gets reused, even in areas that are water rich. I think we're going to see water being reused uh, because even in those water rich areas, because of the climate change, some will uh, some areas will have decreased water use. We know that's happened in many places around the world. Um, so as a result, we're going to be driven to more and more of reuse of uh, or recycling of water. Many states are doing a great job. Florida is the largest producer of reused water in the country, uh, and they're they're producing on the order of eight nine hundred million gallons per day. They get plenty of rain, and they get plenty of rain. Right. Yeah, they've got other incentives to to reuse their water, right? Technology. Uh, both in IT and other forms of technology, is really taking over in the water space. And we see them being bigger players in uh, leadership, in executive leadership, in driving the directions in which we're going to go. Um, and so what's intriguing there is how much efficiency we can have through technology, how much we can advance the science of providing safe water and then clean water to return back to nature. All of that's really, I think, very powerful. At the same time, it's opening up new doors that uh, send off some concern that we have to plan for. Things, of, that, things related to cybersecurity, I think, is really important. And also things related to um, original knowledge, I think, is important. So when we think about the fact that people go out now to, say, Wikipedia, uh, a product or a technology product that no one trusted when it first came out, and suddenly now today it is the source of knowledge. And sorry, Encyclopedia Britannica, but people of past generations don't know who you are. Yeah, you're going to the recycling bin. Exactly, exactly. We used to have it on the shelf at my house, and we'd pull it out, and I'd do my uh, my assignments using Absolutely. that. Um, so now the question is, as people go out to whatever, the internet of things, to find out knowledge. If water doesn't have its knowledge out there, people can't find it. So the risks are, if we don't get the right information out, if we don't have the information out in the trusted, authoritative places, then the wrong information gets picked up. One phrase you used that jumped out, you said taking hold, technology kind of taking hold. I know that in the water space, we've talked about tech and data too for like a long time, right? Gotta, gotta collect more data, gotta pay attention to this and technology, but now we're at this moment where, like you said, it's kind of taking hold and becoming more part of daily practice. Right. Uh, and then the speed of change with technology is still on that exponential curve, right? And we're just in this rapid uh, evolution. So I think some of those things are opportunities, but that's also the scary part, too. It's like, how do we manage all this? Right. I mean, when I think back about my life as a water professional, and I, uh, I, when I tell this story of my first day, uh, at a large consulting firm, CH Tom Hill. I literally had a desk in, an, in the hallway with a, five, a 10 key mm. and a piece of ledger paper. 
There was no computer. There was no cell phone. Oh, there was a dial phone. But, you know, so, so um, even in that period of time, our dependency on technology, you wouldn't even think about not having a laptop, let alone a big mainframe sort of thing to use your, do your work. Now it's, these are just all tools of the trade. And so that's going to continue on in advance. And I just see the technology leaders becoming the water leaders. And, and it's a big, it's not that all the other professions are going to change in any way. It's just there's a new, new group helping to lead in the team. Okay, so tech is really going to come to the center of the daily work of the water sector. Yeah, they're not, uh, the technology leaders are, no, are you know, in, in a water utility or in a consulting firm, they used to be the support. And, and now they're the business um, enablers. And so I, I really see that as an important part. And that's why you see so much focus on the incubators and on uh, the exhibit floors of the technology technology people. So I know that your day job is really focused on technology. Uh, technology is changing just at an exponential rate. It seems like we're at this uh, real pivotal point, if you will. Uh, what's your sense on why this is a driver for water and, and how it's going to be over the next 30 years? Well, um, technology, as I mentioned, will be necessary in order to achieve ultimately water sustainability. It's going to be, in a sense, the, the, the backbone of sustainability in many respects. Uh, and uh, in order to get there, what we're going to see is an evolution of various different types of technology that make it much more cost-effective, uh, easier, less, less uh, labor-intensive to be able to produce clean water that can be um, provided to our, our water community. Uh, and I envision, I envision uh, a time when it'll, it'll, we'll be going into our homes and we'll have a little readout that comes and says, this is our water quality today. Uh, it's uh, where we're going to be able to see whether it's good. Uh, you'll have a little, um, a little readout that says good, not so good, or, or, or call, your, call your water uh, utility. But I think what we'll also see is... Uh, the use of AI and or artificial intelligence as well as machine learning um, to be able to get data from people's taps, drive it back to a centralized system, and then apply predictive analytics. So we'll be able to predict what the water quality that comes out of that tap at any one time, and that will only increase consumer confidence, which is absolutely key, and also provide a product which is of higher quality as well as an affordable cost. All right, I'm waiting for that for that little readout at my house. I'm, I've been that's something I'm always like, why why don't I have that on my faucet? Just you know, tells me what's going on, what the chemistry is in real time. I think that'd be so cool. Um, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, what has to happen for the water sector to really uh, adapt and harness this technology, though? You know, like the technology will develop. What does the water sector have to do to, to be able to embrace that and and incorporate it? I think there has to be—this this leads into some of the other drivers. I think there has to be, uh, when we talk about governance, there has to be a more uniform methodology of which we can uh, uh, develop technologies and have them accepted, at least in, in the United States, by many, many of the um, 
of the agencies which govern the, the regulations of states, as opposed to every state acting individually. And there are reasons for that, which I won't go into now. But those are the kinds of things that I think that are going to help the development in technology. We need more utilities that are willing to be uh, early, early adopters of technology. So as technology develops, instead of uh, a 10 or 15 year time frame from concept all the way through to seeing something that's actually put in the ground, we need to have that early adoption or that, that de technology development curve compressed to maybe a couple of years. So I think we're going to see, we need to see more of that. And as the water challenges become more um, salient, we're going to see technology being much more uh, uh, acceptable to be employed. But even on governance, and, and governance is tied directly to economics. You just think about, you know, capitalism, democracy, and then, you know, people, of course, you know, have their view of what socialism is all about. But what we need to sort of start thinking about is that everything needs to be operated on an individual level, or do we want to start looking at a community level? So, you know, those are all interlinked. So I see is that that's some, that should be having a healthy discussion. How would that apply to the water space, that, that well, I think, you know, you probably hear about, like, if you go to the United Nations, there's a lot of argument that, you know, water is a human right, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, that is put, pushing to, well, like, more the socialist uh, point of view. And I, and I think, that, you know, we need water because my line to folks is that, well, energy, we have alternative energy. What is the alternative to water? Hmm. There, yeah, there is not. Beer? Well, you still need water to make beer. So maybe some of the governance change uh, is the idea that gets at equity, affordability, making making sure that everyone has has equal access to clean, reliable water and sanitation. That's right. Yeah, because it's for your survival, and so you know that those are the, some of the questions that also link to economics. You know, how do we go about afford you know, water for for consumption? Because you know, with all the contamination, you know, sort of flavor of the day, you know, PFAS. And you know, like, wow, we need to treat it. Well, who's responsible for it? And how do we go about to do that? And if you talk about subsidy, well, then, then it's free money from somewhere. Someone has to pay for it. Which other driver or two jumps out at you as being especially intriguing? So the last one that we're going to do, we, we branded it uh, social and demographic. And so social, the social aspect I see, we haven't had this one yet, but I see it. Um, really focusing in on some of the um, affordability issues and the social equity uh, issues. Uh, and then the demographics, really, water's always been about demographics. Where are people and where is water? And how do they get connected? And early on, I talked about how this, this all started after the pandemic. Well, I guess we're still in the tailwaters of the pandemic, but um, after the the intense part. Um, and what I'm seeing is people now uh, don't have to come to a center place of work. You can work remotely. Uh, that is a positive thing that's come out of the pandemic. And you can pretty much be where you want to be. And so I would think that, and we're seeing it in some places, but I would think there might be more and more people going to places where they want to be 
as opposed to where they have to be for their work, and taking their work where they want to be. You, I was going to say, you saw, you know, the big cities lost population as people went to more rural areas or moved to the south or kind of definitely we saw that happening the past few years. Yeah, when I talk to my friends in Bozeman, that's what's happening to Bozeman, right? People are coming to Bozeman. And so I think that if that happens at a magnitude where the big urban centers, right? We no longer have urbanization, but we have sort of ruralization. The rural areas won't be ready, and then the urban centers will be over capacity. Now, will it be that magnitude? I don't know. But I think we'll see some shifting of how people, uh, how people do their work and where people do their work. And certainly over multiple decades, like you're talking about, you could have pretty good changes over that amount of time. Yeah, you're bringing up a good point. I've, I've, I've failed to sort of say that this trend in where we are changes how water systems are uh, built and operated. So that's an important, that's really why this is such an interesting thing to me is what does that mean, that change mean for water? The, the social driver part that you mentioned, that's also something like technology has really ramped up the past few years. We're at this pivotal time. It seems that has also happened with some of the social elements too, right? With equity, with affordability, with environmental justice. Those have become like a lot stronger drivers for water and probably will maintain that. <laughs> yeah, uh, the important piece I think is the visibility of it has really increased, mm -hmm. the awareness of it. And, and people are putting it um, into their planning, into their thought processes, into their operations. And, and that's a really good thing. Um, Everybody wants everyone to have access to water, to safe water, and everyone wants to protect the environment, but it really doesn't work unless everyone has that. So it's a great, it's a great time for the water community, and it's also helping to attract great talent into the water community. You're in the water loop. <laughs>